0: Hello and welcome to the Insights in Focus podcast. I'm Philip Alam. This time we're discussing the obstacles and incentives to SME investment. In recent years, a string of crises and ongoing economic uncertainty has dampened investment across the board. ONS figures tell us that business investment remains lower than pre pandemic levels and, in fact, fell 0.2% in the last quarter of 2022. And when it comes to SMEs, there are particular issues influencing their ability and willingness to invest. While staffing challenges continue to pressure productivity, the March budget did attempt a shot in the arm by announcing three years' capital expensing. But questions remain over whether SMEs can access the finance they need to make their investment plans a reality. To untangle some of these issues and chart routes forward, I'm joined by Simon Gray, head of business at ICAW, and three tech company leaders, Adam Lawfer, deputy CEO of Doddle, Tanavi, Ethanandan, CEO of Data Duopoly, who's joining us remotely from Cornwall, and Kieran Burke, CEO of Swoop. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hi Good morning. Us. Simon, can you do a bit of scene setting for us? I mean, as I said, ONS tells us business investment is actually falling. What's holding it back?
1: Well, I think there's a few things. And I think um, if we talk about business investment generally, a lot of it is sector specific. I think if you're in a, a particularly challenging sector, perhaps a consumer facing sector, it's more difficult to secure investment. Certainty is a big challenge. We had the mining budget last year. Businesses, while they have a bit more certainty, they want to see more certainty before they'll commit to long term decisions. And I think access to finance is a big issue as well. Squeeze margins, challenging environment generally for business.
0: But we've been talking about, you know, the need to raise productivity for years, haven't we? And capital expenditure has got to play a part in that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But in terms of capital expenditure, you, you have to be able to secure the funding to do it. And you have to have a long term vision as to where you're going to get to. And we've seen a, a huge amount of instability in terms of the economy. Lots of challenges that haven't necessarily been anticipated. And I think businesses are nervous and they're nervous to spend, albeit, you know, business knows that business needs to invest to secure long term growth.
0: So your sense generally is the actual capacity to access financing. It's still very sector
1: specific. It's challenging, dependent on sector. I think your, your traditional routes to finance, traditional bank lending, there's perhaps more caution. Of course, interest rates have gone up, so it's more expensive for smaller businesses. And what I do hear from members is members in businesses that are consumer-facing, so perhaps retail, hospitality, it's more difficult because it's potentially more risky.
0: Let's hear from our guests. They all run relatively young SMEs. They're all familiar with the difficulties of financing their ambitions. I mean, Adam, I think yours is the oldest business at the table. Uh, Tell us a bit about Doddle, what you do, how you finance your growth to where you are now.
2: Doddle is a B2B software business. We license our technology products to logistics businesses globally, providing solutions in the spaces around the delivery and receipt of e-commerce orders and the return of those orders.
0: And this is first mile, last mile? Exactly. Really? First yeah.
2: and last mile. Okay. Exactly. When we launched the business originally, we operated in the same space, but we were delivering an entirely different business model. And the business was launched as a joint venture to build and roll out a UK national network of pick-up and drop-off locations, and the Network Rail relationship allowed us to access retail locations at the busiest train stations around the country.
0: So you were teamed up with Network Rail, and then four years later,
2: you had to pivot. Four years into the journey, we, we pivoted the business. We had been approached by them by a number of the, particularly the retailers who offered our locations to their customers for those services. And they were asking, actually, whether they could white label the technology platform that underpinned our service to run effectively with their own customers and their own product through their own real estate networks and their own store infrastructure, which for us then, that that was a real light bulb moment, because what we realized is actually the value might well be the underlying technology that we'd built originally as an internal operating platform. And actually, by doing so, our borders of imagination were no more confined to the UK. You know, if it was relevant in the UK, one of the sort of most evolved e-commerce markets in the world, actually, why couldn't you take this and, and roll that opportunity out globally? And actually, the way it's happened over the last four or five years since we made the pivot, it's almost been easier for us to do business overseas, where the rest of the world sort of looks back at the UK to see what's happening from an e-commerce and a particularly e-commerce logistics perspective, And I think having had that pedigree in the UK market gives us, you know, almost a a foot through the door and additional credibility when we're speaking to businesses overseas.
0: And how have you financed it?
2: So when we launched the joint venture between Network Rail and Sir Lloyd Dorfman, who's a UK ultra high net worth entrepreneur who founded the TravelX business, which is a, a retail bureau de change business when they founded the business they agreed to fund the rollout of this physical network of pudo locations up to a certain amount of money as we started to move through our plans to pivot the business actually what happened was um, sir lloyd acquired the shares of network rail and since then we've effectively operated as a privately owned sort of very nimble company backed by a single individual
0: interesting tanavi i mean your company Data Duopoly, it's much more of a youngster, isn't it? Can you give us a bit of a snapshot of what you do and and your financing journey so far?
3: I founded the business about three years ago. And Data Duopoly connects spaces, places and people together using data and AI. And what that means is we've all seen what Waze did with crowdsourced location data for the automobile sector. And we're doing the very same for footfall and places. So we started off life actually in an incubator um, based down in Cornwall that was EU-funded, where it took individuals who were motivated and had their skill sets to set up a business. And during that time, I saw a problem in the tourism and leisure industry, where people understood how many people were in the site through ticket sales, but they didn't understand how people were moving around the venue. And we've all been there where we've seen staff members standing there with clickers. And I just thought there's got to be a better way to do it. Surely there's a way to capture that data and also provide people with real-time information. And that's where Data Duopoly was born. So we had the phenomenal opportunity to undertake a proof of concept with the Eden Project, where we were able to show about 33% of people moved location as a direct result of us sending personalized notifications. So this could be... From our data, we understood between 12 and 1, the canteen was very busy, so we could send to people. If you come a little bit later, you could get a half-priced coffee. Or equally, why don't you go to the restaurant, which has an upspend for the venue, which is great, um, but it also gives a much richer experience for the visitor, and they get a monetary incentive. And on the back of that, we actually managed to secure work with the National trust Coast partnership, where we worked with three World Heritage Mining Sites. So we financed that actually through the incubator. We had a little bit of support, but it was all completely manual and it was time we started growing our team. So we were very successful in a pre-seed round of just shy of a quarter of a million pounds that closed in Q1 2021. And we had support from the European Space Agency, which was incredible. And that was for our use of downstream satellite data, the premise of we map venues using satellite data. That's how we capture that data. Going forward, a little thing called the COVID pandemic hit the industry we were operating in. And very understandably, venues had to close their doors. And although data about footfall was more important than ever, innovation budgets were cut. So at the same time, we were speaking to high streets and we were speaking to councils, and they were having a huge problem about how do we rejuvenate the high street and how do we make it exciting. So we pivoted and adapted what we had to the sector and we're still to be launching in Falmouth Town, which is a multi-award-winning town centre, really to promote what's going on, showcase the fantastic experiences on the high street and capture that footfall data. And one thing that we find really exciting and encouraging on our journey to date is the amount of support that we've had. But yes, we are now undertaking our next, we're launching on a seed round. um, So that's our next stage of growth, as we're also having very exciting conversations with sort of um, working with operators in the transport sector, how to integrate our technology. But as a short summary, that's where we are to date. Have you got a date for that seed round, Tanavi? Yes, yeah, so we're just launching it at the moment and we're hoping to close um, this year, Q2. But as with everything, that's an ambition. So we'll see how we get there.
0: Kieran, same question to you. Tell us about Swoop, how you financed it so far.
4: Swoop is a financing platform in its own right, so two sides of the spectrum probably to chat through. What we do is we help small businesses access finance. For us, it's all about looking at the whole of market. so we'll look from lending, investment and grants. Uh, initially started out in the UK and Ireland, but the proposition isn't unique to any country. Small businesses are kind of the backbone to most things, employing the most people, adding the most to GDP. So we're now able to serve the European, North American and Australian markets. Ourselves as a business, we're a bit of a case study of our own platform so to kick things off there's a lovely scheme in the UK called the startup loan scheme so as a new business for within the first three years of trading you can get up to £25,000 per director Flat interest rate of six percent, interest free over six months, spread over five years, pretty good deal. Uh, so got one of them. We also then went to Enterprise Ireland. They're the largest private investor in European businesses, and they help give you early stage capital, but you have to match fund that. So we got three hundred thousand euro from them, and then we use a scheme in the UK called the Seed Enterprise Investment Scheme, where you can raise off private individuals, and they get a kickback from a tax perspective. So if I give you ten thousand under SEIS, I can get five thousand back from HMRC essentially Excellent scheme Uh, They've just updated rules So as a business Traditionally you could take 150,000 under SEIS You can now take 250,000 So we took the 150,000 And got some more Angel investment Paired that with the Enterprise Ireland That allowed us to Kind of get operational Kick things off So that was about We started the business May 2018 So it'll be five next month so got that, started building the, the website A, getting a bit of traffic, uh, showing kind of product market fit. Uh, from there, we looked at the kind of more grants competition ecosystem. Uh, we saw uh, the regulator, uh, Competition Market Authority, were trying to do more in open banking, and Nesta, who are an innovation u- agency in the UK, were wanting people to do more in that space. So we thought that really suited our proposition. So we entered that, and unfortunately, we, we won that, which was great in that we got some funding through it, but also got us some great connections into the, the banking sector. Uh, we then also entered a competition uh, called the, biz- uh, the Business Competitions Remedies Fund, uh, which we, we were a, a winner of that. So it was, again, a, a grant-based competition. And then most recently, we did a Series A about 15, 16 months ago through some of the original funders within within Swoop and brought in two or three new uh, venture capital funds as well. So a real amalgamation of, of different pots of, <laughs> of money and, and sources, but it's kind of got, got us to where we are today.
0: I mean the way you really off you've had a fantastic hit rate with raising money, I'm interested to know where the expertise to make that happen came from. You had it under the roof, did you already?
4: Well, I suppose the genesis of swoop was coming from the pain point of understanding business owners' frustration sure. of like Oh, I need cash to kind of get this thing running and things don't always go smoothly. So need to think of all these things. And my co-founder, Andrea, a lot of what she was doing was every day working with business owners. She was initially working for McLaren, the Formula One team, and they have a huge amount of spin-out companies that are so capital intensive, like they'll just gobble their cash. Yeah. So uh, the bank's not going to be just giving them lending. So, you have to think about equity and grants. So... She was really starting to see, okay, there's so many different pots here, but the business owners are never going to understand how to go, where to go, how do you find all this information. And my background was I had launched Hive.co.uk, which is a marketplace platform for creatives. So I came from it from the platform perspective of, oh, actually, there's a load of data sources we can connect up here, like banking, accountancy software, companies' house in the UK is a wonderful API. Uh, so we can kind of gather all that information up, help the SME understand what their financial position is and then start to unpick all these different options out there because the big challenge is just awareness and education a lot yeah. of the time because like Simon's absolutely right there's a really tough time for lots of businesses in sectors like retail and construction because banks aren't looking so favourably at them so they have to work a bit harder. So
0: you find that with your clients do you that it's really it's still very sector specific? It, it, it can
4: be but there are solutions for those sectors it's just a bit harder for them because like traditionally you'd always go walk down the street there's my bank my local bank manager it's there but the strategy of the big banks is not to give that one-to-one relationship with a business owner anymore their strategy is one to five hundred one to one thousand and serve those larger s's or bigger m's so all of a sudden that doesn't exist so where do they go well they can come to platforms like us but uh they might not know us so they'll go to their accountant and their accountant needs to get educated or they need to educate themselves so but the the, the good news is if you are like in retail, yes, your bank isn't going to be, oh, come on in, let's give you a load of money, sadly... But you've got loads of assets in your business that you can start to use where there's a whole alternative finance stream. So every time someone taps your credit card terminal or buy something online, that's an asset that you can use to leverage to get finance. And there's lots of other financiers that are out there that aren't high street banks that will look to, to, to give you that. Or you might have a seasonal business as a retailer. So you might get, need to get all your orders in the summer to, to make hay when it comes to Christmas sales or Black Friday or whatever it might be. There are businesses that will fund those seasonal, but it's just that little bit challenging for those people in those industries that traditionally had to just pick up the phone to the bank manager now need to kind of Get educated and, and look and see what within my business has it set up and but what you will find on a positive note is often there are instruments out there to to, to connect up so that those businesses can get that funding that they need to grow.
0: But as you say, I mean it's a steep learning curve, isn't isn't it, for most startups with financial literacy?
4: Massive, like and most of these small businesses don't have that many employees, so they're having to do all this themselves whilst also trying to, to keep the thing ticking over. And also, you don't go through a financing course to set up a small business. You, you often do it out of passion yeah, and love for an what idea. you do. Yeah. So someone's throwing a P&L or a balance sheet in front of you, like, this is double-dutch to me. Like, what, what, what do you want me to do with it? So actually just making them aware of that and letting them feel comfortable in their numbers and, and it gives get a sense of freedom. So that's kind of a lot of where we started our business from and, and that's why we kind of want to exist is like, look, let, let us let us sh- share in the problem and, and hopefully help help you find a, a solution.
0: Tanavi, I think you're an accountant, aren't you? So presumably this was less of an issue for you?
3: Side of life um, um, as an auditor. But I think, you know, echo what Kieran said, I think it's a whole new world when you set up your own new business. And getting that access to information is certainly quite difficult. I think we were really well supported because we went through a non traditional route going through an incubator. So we had that help and support and guidance. Um, but without that, it would have been quite hard. And you know, it's making those connections, being aware that the European Space Agency has fantastic opportunities to fund technology streams that use space assets. Or equally, that Innovate UK has a numerous number of grants or even tapping into the fact that when you innovate as a business, that you can claim back R&D tax credits, which is such an important thing in any startup's cash flow future. I
0: mean, Adam, what was your learning process on this?
2: I think a bit like Kieran said, that there's so many options out there and it's almost impossible to have... A grasp of the breadth of the options. I mean, in my experience with Doddle, the joint venture was coming together at the time that I was introduced to the opportunity. So in that sense, you know, we've never really had to go and fundraise outside of those two initial investors.
0: I mean, if you had to now, would you know how to set about it?
2: So I would because of my background. My background also qualified accountant, but spent six or seven years working in M&A. But again, my experience is what what it would take to go out and raise that money from institutional investors. So venture capital, private equity. We've looked at times at grants to see what's out there. You can spend a lot of hours, you know, Googling different grants and trying to understand what the grants are for, who they're applicable for.
0: And the hit rate's low, isn't it?
2: I mean, it's very low, you know, and there's quite a big hurdle to actually apply for the grants. So to even get comfortable that it's worth spending, you know, on top of the five hours of time you've just spent on Google, actually pursuing it is very difficult. Um, You know, accelerators, incubators, you know, of course, I know what they are. You know, I know of a couple. But again, if you were looking to launch an idea and having to try and find the right one for you, that's a time commitment in itself.
0: Simon, regulatory issues, fettering this even more?
2: I think as
1: a, as a small business owner, you've got a lot of things you need to consider. I mean, Kieran mentioned around um, the, the investment landscape is complex and who do you go to, where do you get that advice? Then you have the regulatory type environments and there's lots of regulation. Regulation, don't get me wrong, is a good thing, but when it becomes a burden on smaller businesses, you've got to consider that. I think Kieran made the point that in a smaller business, you're, you're trying to run your business. You've got to look at your investments, where you're going to get your investment from. Then you've got to look at regulation and this is all just distracting you from necessarily running your business on a day-to-day basis. In a previous life to ICAW, I run my own business and I've experienced this personally. You don't have the hours in the day to be able to do this. So there is you know, increasingly more regulation out there. I think it is a concern for businesses, particularly smaller businesses, who don't have the resources internally necessarily to be able to address the regulation.
0: What did you make of the March budget You know, and how helpful, indeed, otherwise you thought it was on this issue?
1: I think there were some good things in there. I mean, I, I talked to our members on a regular basis. We were kind of expecting something on investment. The three years capital and expensing has generally been well, uh, well received. Yeah, some of the things around um, childcare and um, you know easing people getting back into work because skills and access to talent has been a big challenge for businesses. The thing businesses really need is an environment of stability. And that's what businesses want. And, and one of our members who said to me, and I'm you know, remembering this now, he's, he said to me that it doesn't matter what the legislation is or, or what the changes are. We just want them to stick around for a while so we can actually put some resource into understanding them and addressing them. But if things change too frequently, you're constantly reacting to stuff instead of running your business, which is what you want to do.
0: And, of course, we're looking at a general election next year.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, think, I think we are, aren't we? I'm not quite sure when.
0: No, I don't think anyone knows Early when. Know, but no, it's no. seeming like that's when it's going to be.
1: So. Yeah, I think that's part of the challenge, isn't it? Because if, if we run on the political cycle, you're always looking to the next election. But what the long term trajectory needs to be for businesses in terms of growth, productivity, um, you know, that runs on a, on a much longer term cycle.
0: I mean, Tanavi, going back to the budget, I think you said you're not keen on the, on the changes to the way R&D tax credits work.
3: One thing that certainly is a startup, and I think many fellow SMEs will probably echo this, is that um, the R&D tax rates really incentivise innovation and taking that risk on something that might pay off in the future. But as a result, it could cost quite a lot of money and capital intensive. So one thing we've certainly done as a tech firm is invest in development and that sort of building out our um, product roadmap in the budget, the R&D tax credit scheme has become less favourable.
0: For SMEs. Yes,
3: for SMEs. I think one thing to note on that is it's not going to have a massive impact immediately. No one's going to be cutting jobs. But what it will do is potentially make future growth plans less ambitious. And it will certainly impact cash flows in the future, where previously you were expecting so much back in the next year's tax cycle. But actually now you might be taking a less risky approach, which I think could stifle innovation. And I think our colleagues in life sciences will be the most particularly affected in this. And what's the feeling in the room
0: about that? Would you agree?
4: Completely. There was uh, some slight concession on the last budget, though it's hard to keep up because we've had so many of them. (laughs) But uh, essentially one of the the tweaks on the kind of more harsh R&D rules uh, was you weren't able to recoup anything on your investment if it wasn't happening within the UK. So for a lot of SMEs, because you're budgeting, you are, normally will have some sort of website or technical expenditure. A lot of the time, you'll look to offshore that. Um, so that's and, a right there. And so <laughs> you you ain't getting any of that cash back. Basically, was the message. However, in the in the last budget they have extended the period in which you, you can so for for the next 12 months you, you if you are ex- expanding and investing in, in new technology and processes and doing it in, in outside the UK you can still recoup some of that which was a, a positive but I, I completely echo uh, uh sentiments in that it, it's not the immediate of oh I'm going to change
2: completely what I'm doing It it's, it's stifling that ambition which is kind of sad to see. I mean for us it's not it doesn't necessarily change what we're doing, but because of the points that you've just made, it's absolutely how we do it. So like you you've just mentioned, we've worked with an outsourced development partner based in Eastern Europe for the last five or six years. They essentially become part of your team. So, you know, on an individual basis and a way of working basis, they they are a fully integrated mechanism in in the Doddle machine. To replace them with someone different and something different would be hugely disruptive. You know, there'd be a very long ramp up time just to get someone else to get as familiar with our technology, you know, our processes day in, day out around, you know, building that the products and the platform. So that is a major consideration for us because that's a big chunk of our investment in R&D. It's also the easiest to point out for, you know, you have to be able to quantify the amount you invest That's almost the easiest bit for us because those people are just doing development, you know, product development, whereas the rest of our staff in the UK are mixed across a number of things. And, you know, there's project management and management things they do. So then it's even more overhead to then unpick all of that in order to make your R&D claim. But it's also the backdrop against which that change is happening. You've got an unbelievably competitive recruitment sector in the technology space in the UK. Salaries are in an all-time high. People are probably hoping that the impact of all of the layoffs being announced, particularly across big tech, would soften some of that. But then you've got inflation coming in the other direction, which is keeping those salaries where they are. So you're not able to get the money back on your outsourced development. You're going to get less of the money back that you're investing on UK R&D going from 33% to 18%. And at a time when you're being encouraged to employ people in the UK in a, a crazy, you know, environment of wage inflation. So it really is a perfect storm in that regard. And then the sort of the knockout punch of all of that is it's harder then from a visa point of view to hire people coming in the UK internationally. 9%. I mean, we we actually don't embark on it because of the overhead required to do it. So if we get applicants for jobs who require visa sponsorship at the moment, it's just, it's easier for us to say no. So, It's a problem, isn't when, it,
0: on the whole talent, you know, bringing the right talent in.
2: Totally. And so, think, yeah. the, the overhead is actually working your way through the website. Yeah, like the grants.
4: Yeah, well, <laughs> I think the visa one is even where I've personally done it. And it's just like, I don't even know where I am on this website. It doesn't tell you what, what's happened. Or, yeah, it's a real challenge.
0: I mean, Simon, we, we've, we've touched on kind of broader economic factors at play here. But I mean, what, what would you like to see to make SME financing easier to secure?
1: Simplicity, more certainty, uh, longer term, which I mentioned before. You know, Kieran's talked about that education piece and that signposting. People on this, on this podcast today have talked about the complexity of trying to navigate various funding streams and, and various other things. I think simplicity, clarity, uh, education.
0: OK, I'm going to go round the room, Wish list, Tanavi, what would you
3: like? I think I've got to echo those thoughts. But really, I think there needs to be a marked sort of support for the sector and understanding that we do live in economic turbulence at this moment more so than ever before. And that consistency is so important for businesses. So anything to support and encourage innovation, I think, is good for business and also good for the economy as a whole.
2: Adam. I think it's very easy to get all doom and gloom and and some of the recent changes are definitely negative, but the UK still remains, you know, a phenomenal place to launch and grow a business. So, you know, it's not all bad news, I would say. I think actually platforms like Swoop sound like they're going to play a huge part in uh... (laughs) (laughs) promote each other's businesses from what we're discussing is it sounds like platforms like that that bring together all of the available options in one place and no doubt you know it's pulled together in a a way that makes those journeys and of discovery really intuitive and easy to understand i'm sure platforms like that sound like they'll play a huge part for me
0: kieran what do you want from government
2: I think it's thinking about the areas that need their impact
4: most. So, I think actually uh, to echo Adam's sentiment, at the early nascent stage, there's loads of great schemes in the UK to get your business up and running. Startup loan scheme, SEIS, EIS, that sort of stuff is absolutely fantastic. And if you're a brilliant, established, high growth business, every bank of the land is going to want to lend to you. So, it's thinking about the not so sexy uh, sectors that are doing big things in terms of adding jobs consistently in there. So how do you support that ecosystem? You saw a lot during COVID with C-bills and bounce-back loans, and they were very effectively in getting billions out to it. So it's thinking about how can we support a credit-based system that's targeting these non-sexy sectors where we will sit in behind either a high street bank or alternative lender to give them more confidence to give credit, if it's credit, to these types of businesses. I think if they were to look for inspiration, there's a there's a scheme called the SBA lending scheme in the, in the US that does this very effectively at a sector level. So I think there are other schemes out there in, in countries. But I, if I was in the government series, I'd be looking at that non-sexy bit that I can consistently give credit available to, to businesses that are doing okay, but banks aren't quite giving them the yes right now. So it's incentivizing them a little bit more by maybe taking a bit of the risk on the, the government shoulders.
0: Tom, just to wrap this up, I mean, SME voices are key here, aren't they? How, how do they get them heard?
1: We talk to members on a, on a weekly basis. I talk to members across a multitude of different sectors through our communities, uh, our community advisory groups, our business committees, and um, getting their voices to us. We feed into consultations. We have dialogue with government. You know, we have a, a division with an ICAW, Reputation and Influence. So we're, we're in the conversation. And that's one of the ways to do it. SMEs have their own networks as well. That's another way to do it. And, and just raising their voice. And we know SMEs are important. We know SMEs are the, are the backbone of the economy.
0: And you want to hear from them?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: I think that feels like a neat place to wrap it up. So Simon, Adam, Tanavi, Kieran, thank you very much indeed for being with us. We really appreciate
1: it. Thank you. Thank
3: Thanks you for having us. Thank you for having us.
0: The next Insights podcast will be with you in early May. As always, we'll be hearing from experts across ICAW about the latest developments affecting the work of chartered accountants. Join us for that. Thanks for being with us for this episode. And remember to rate, review, share and subscribe to the series on your chosen podcast app.